Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Care of Vining, he'll bump it across. Backdoor play and it rings the metal! Oh, says Svechnikov on the set play. Rings it off the post. Awesome, Mercer. And the slot. Boquist turns shot and scores. A power play goal for Jesper Boquist. His 11th of the season, his first power play goal. And the Devils take a 1-0 lead here with 4.17 left in the set. Side of the net. Popped out in front by Niederreiter over the top of the net. Domi plays it away from Zakin. Now to Natchez. Gaines keeping the pressure on Slavin. Waits, waits. Shot. Gillies with the save. Rebound chance. Backhanded wide. John Gillies just robbed Jacob Slavin in the slot. Now a breakaway attempted on Kodjetkov, and he gets the better of Boquist. As Boquist to the backhand can't beat the Kings rookie netminder. Now the Devils still have time. 24 seconds on a power play. One-timer in Kodjetkov! Lashes the leather and will hang on. As he has a robbing save on Sharon Govich. Now Shea with a shot. It's deflected out front. The score! It takes the rebound out front. And Carolina gets the goal they need with 4.36 left here in the third. It's a 2-1 hockey game. Lechetkov makes his way to the Hurricanes bench for the extra attacker. Canes keep it in. Backhand pass turns. Gillis gets hit. The score! On the rebound! Out in front. Nino Niederreiter. Net front presence. Carolina has tied it at two with a minute 56 to go on the third. Severson to the loose puck, give it away. D'Angelo with it, on the steal, across for Jarvis, he scores! The rookie, Seth Jarvis, his fourth game winner, and the Hurricanes beat the Devil with a 3-2 win in overtime. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold. Presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. Adam Gold here. Well, certainly turned out to be a great day for the Carolina Hurricanes. Didn't look like it was going to be a great day for the Hurricanes through, oh, 55 minutes of hockey. But all's well that ends well. Canes win in overtime. We'll go through it real quick. Uh, Rangers lose in Boston, 3-1. Penguins route Detroit, 7-2. Tampa wins big over Nashville. By the way, Toronto has won 13 in a row. Wow, they win in overtime over Toronto. Uh, So everybody but Washington among the Eastern Conference playoff teams in action today. And a bunch will be in action tomorrow. Hurricanes are at the island on the island, so uh, there's a lot of hockey uh, to be played still this weekend. Uh, But through 55 minutes, didn't look like it was going to turn out well, but it did turn out well. We'll talk about it. It's going to be a little bit of a different podcast today. We'll briefly talk about the game, talk about uh, the rookie netminder, who, um, honestly, one of the goals has to be stopped, but he didn't. 
Uh, the other goal is a deflection. Made some big saves. What Didn't get a lot of action, which makes it harder. Uh, Might have even made it harder on the uh, the Nico Heischer goal. Uh, but ultimately, as it turns out, he did enough. And the Hurricanes finally got to it with about five minutes left. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find that at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. On Hamlin Road in Durham, no place like it. Go check it out online, aluminumcompany.com. Free no obligation estimate there. You want to make your home more beautiful on the outside, more energy efficient. These are the people to call. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go through the game real quick. Um, I want you to hear from Seth Jarvis and Rod Brindamore from after the game. I think an illuminating comment from Seth Jarvis about what he's gone through this year and a little bit from Rod about the game and the rookie goalie and uh, finally getting to it and for the first time maybe a little bit of a pumping the tires of the best line that the Hurricanes have thrown out there on the ice pretty much all year long. And uh, and then we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN and our friend Chuck Caton's going to stop by at the end of the podcast, don't you know? All right, so obviously a lot of things to get to. So let's start with the game. It really wasn't very good Carolina Hurricanes hockey through, what, fifty again, 55 minutes. I mean, it wasn't like the Devils were great. I don't think anybody was great. I don't think this is the type of a game that was going to bring people back. It's like, you, you didn't go to this one and go, man, I got to go see that again. It was kind of a Saturday afternoon, nice weather outside, rather be somewhere else type of a game. That's what uh, that's what we had. The Devils got the one goal on the power play late in the second period, like, four, I don't know, five minutes left or so uh, in the second period. Really nothing that Kachetkov could do. Rookie making his NHL debut. Uh, deflection in front. Uh, Jaeger Sharangovich. Um, got the got the tip, gets through. No, pro- I mean nothing you could do about it. Uh, I know the uh, the initial call was uh, Jesper Boquist with the goal, but it was deflected past uh, Kachetkov. So one nothing, and then midway about eight was I think at eight thirty, Nico Heischer, I mean snaps one, almost looked like it was through the glove of. Kachetkov, and it's 2 nothing. We're, you know, at the midway point of the third period. Carolina's basically got some shots, but, I mean, they didn't... This was a very uh, non-threatening offensive hockey game. You know, the Hurricanes just came off a game where they had, like, 41 scoring chances, and nearly 20, 20 of them were high danger. I mean, I'm trying to think if I have the... Uh, the numbers in front of me it tw- against Winnipeg. They had 22 grade A scoring chances, according to natural, natural stat trick. Again, that can be a little squirrely because Seth Jarvis's overtime goal was not a, a high danger chance. To me, that was. Um, but they had 40 scoring chances in that game, 22 high dangers. Basically, cut those numbers in half. They had fewer than that, fewer than half grade A chances. I think they had nine grade A scoring chances for the whole game. One great. It wasn't a good game. And I know people are like, why can't they do that? Why can't they do Because you can't. And you'll hear from Rod, uh, because you can't manufacture this stuff. I've said I've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. It looks like a team that is sort of like mentally tired. 
That will change when the games absolutely matter. And right now, while they matter, they don't. The Hurricanes have known they were going to be in the playoffs since December. That I mean, that, that this is how long. And that stretch of games against elite teams uh, was 11 games in 21 days. That took a lot out of them. And it would take a lot out of anybody. And the truth is, is that the Hurricanes are not blessed with the offensive uh, firepower of some of the teams that you like to compare them to. So they're not blessed with the same offensive firepower as Florida or Colorado um, or, hell, at some t- at times Washington uh, or Tampa. It's a team that needs to play an aggressive style, and that takes energy. And when the mental energy isn't quite there, the rest of it can go a little bit. But the thing is, they have always played hard. They just haven't been able to find the extra gear offensively. And I think that when we get to the playoffs, and there's no guarantee they could lose in the first round. But when we get to the playoffs, I think you'll see that extra that extra gear return. So I'm not saying they're going to score four goals a game, but in the playoffs, you shouldn't need to. In the playoffs, you shouldn't need to score four goals a game. Uh, so... Uh, the Hurricanes are, and I, it's funny, I still see people say that, you know, respond to this all the time. They are what they are. They're the best defensive team in the league. And how do you know this? How do you judge this? I asked the question once, uh, how would you, so somebody criticized me for saying that. So I said, well, let me ask the question. How would you judge the best offensive and the best defensive teams in the league? Because I mean, I don't see how you would do it other than goals. Goals for, goals against. Best offensive team in the league, Florida, scores more than four goals a game. Best defensive team in the league, the Carolina Hurricanes, allow 2.44 goals per game. The lowest in the league. I mean, it's just barely ahead of the Rangers and the Flames, but it's ahead. I don't understand how else you would judge the best offensive and defensive teams in the league other than how many goals you give up. What other metric is there? <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't even get it. So anyway, um, the Hurricane, the, the, this is what they are, right? Uh, they're an elite defensive team that... Sometimes they will struggle to score and they will lose games you figure they should win. And we've seen a lot of that the last month or so. But for the most part, they can score. And they're not, uh, they're not a bunch of, uh, bunch of pikers. Uh, they are 10th in the league in scoring goals. And that's pretty good. I mean, they're not near Florida. Florida scoring almost 4.2 goals a game. It is insane. All right. To that end, before we go through a brief synopsis of the game, Let's hear from the head coach um, who like, who talked about it. This was not a good performance. This was a kind of a drab Hurricanes effort until it wasn't. You know, you, you can't fault them on the first one. And like you said, I think through two periods, he didn't have a lot of action. Um, you know, I think he probably liked that, that second one back. But then, you know, like you said, the game's pretty much done if, it, well, if they get that third one and he made – 
he made two really quality saves after that. It was two nothing, and um, you know kept us in the game. Obviously, gave us a chance. I'm just curious to know what type of mentality you want this team to have going towards the end of this regular season. Are you having them kind of like play with the playoff type of mode right now, considering the the division title may come down to the final day of the regular season? Yeah, well, it's, it, you can't manufacture that. So you know that's it's a long year, right? And then you know you. You say the right things and all the players have the right intentions. It's just hard. It's hard to, you know, play that way every night, especially when you know whether you win or lose. This, I mean, human nature, we're going to be playing in a week. And so um, I think we, we came off a little bit tonight for sure. Um, but, you know, still found a way. So it says a lot about the group. Rod, what was the difference there in the third or what led to those final five minutes? Was it just a compound of the way things had been going or did something change? Yeah, we weren't actually very good in the third. And then all of a sudden, you know, five minutes ago, had a couple of shifts and, you know, led by Jordan's line. You know, they, they seem to always be the catalyst. And, um, you know, finally kind of got to how we wanted to play, which we knew they were hunkering down. They had five guys, you know, smothering the puck in their end and we needed to get pucks through and at the net and, that's that was the game plan going in. We didn't execute it very well until the last, you know, couple of minutes. Yeah. And don't you appreciate Rod saying out loud what he should be saying out loud all the time. And he's had opportunities to really tout them. I give them to him almost every time I speak with him. And the the truth is is that the Jordan Stall line has been a catalyst all year long. Even when Jordan wasn't scoring, they were producing whether it's uh, possession, offensive zone time, creating scoring chances, Jordan just wasn't finishing. By the way, it's been a, it seems like it's been forever since Jesper Foss has scored a goal, although I think he has scored one recently. But you know, Jordan didn't get on the scoreboard tonight. Guess, guess what? His line was great in the last five minutes because it was on the ice for both goals. You know, that was they had the stall line out with the extra attacker. And I think Aho came on as the extra attacker. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's the stall line doing it again. So um, you got to give those, uh, you got to give the captain and Nino Niederreiter and Jesper Foss credit. Nino's got 24 goals now uh, on the season. Um, all right, let's go, let's go through this and then we'll uh, listen to Seth Jarvis and then we'll take a break and then we'll get to uh, Greg Wyshynski and Chuck Caton. After that, like I said, never looked like two points at any point in this game. First period was a yawner, both sides. Just, you know, it was cardio. 20 minutes of good cardio. Uh, then the Devils get the deflection power play goal. Jaeger, uh, Sharangova in front. Boquist shot. Um, Sharangova gets enough of deflection. It gets past uh, Peter Kachetkov. It makes it one nothing. late second period. Hurricanes did have that chance. Uh, I guess it was at the end of their own power play uh, where Slavin was just absolutely robbed by John Gillies. Uh, you heard that. Uh, so it goes to the intermission, the second intermission, and it's one nothing. And you go, you know what? Nobody's played really all that well. Uh, if, if the Hurricanes could just mount something, get something going early, you might be able to win this game. You might be able to score four uh, in the third period. And the Canes have been a great third period team. Uh, and then there's really not much going on. And then Nico Heischer makes it 2 nothing, and you think you have that sinking feeling that this game is just not going to go the way you want it. Uh, a, for the rookie, because you want him to uh, have a great experience with his first NHL start. Uh, but, you know, with the Rangers about to go uh, play in Boston, 
You'd think it really liked, if you want to win the division, you'd really like to get this one. So maybe put some scoreboard pressure on the Rangers. Uh, and it just didn't look like that was going to be the case. And they're tied going into the game today. And who knows, you lose, and then the Rangers win. If the, if the Hurricanes uh, don't win Sunday, now they've got just two games left. And the, uh, the Rangers have three. And the Rangers can pretty much ice it with a win on Tuesday at Madison Square Garden. And then it all flips with the one line on the ice. Brady Shea gets a bounce. Now Shea with a shot. It's deflected out front. The score! It takes the rebound out front. And Carolina gets the goal they need with 4.36 left here in the third. It's a 2-1 hockey game. And I should say, actually, before the Shea lucky bounce off a devil's leg, uh, Kachetkov had to make two great saves. He stops Boquist on a breakaway, uh, and then he robs Sharon Gova. Uh, did I say that? The Sharon Govic? I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever his name is. Uh, he, he stops him uh, on a great save, glove save. Uh, and those two saves enable the Hurricanes to have a chance. Shea makes it 2-1. The extra attacker comes on. Kachetkov makes his way to the Hurricanes bench for the extra attacker. Canes keep it in. Backhand pass turns. Gillis gets in. They'll score! On the rebound! Out in front. Nino Niederreiter. Net front presence. Carolina has tied it at two with a minute 56 to go on the third. Yep. <laughs> um, I can't say enough how many big... Moments, not just goals, but moments Nino Niederreiter has had this year. He's just been amazing. He really has been tremendous. And he goes to the front of the net. He talked about it after the game. With what I do, I have to get to the front of the net. So he did. Puck's there. Nino shovels it in. And it's 2-2. Devils are deflated. We get to overtime. And it's time to turn it over to the rookie. Severson to the loose puck, give her away. D'Angelo with it, on the steal, across for Jarvis, he scores! The rookie, Seth Jarvis, his fourth game winner, and the Hurricanes beat the Devil with a 3-2 win in overtime. We always think we have a chance to win it, every every game, and it starts from, from Roddy kind of preaching that, and then our leadership group come behind us and and really helping us out, uh, not lose confidence in what we can do. And especially when you're down two with nine minutes left, it's always a little bit tough. But uh, to be able to come back like that, I think just says a lot about our team and about our, our group inside the locker room. Seth, what were your emotions there as you put that one home in overtime? Uh, well, I was a little scared. I thought the goalie saved it. So uh, once I saw the ref one and, and, and Tony Sellian, I was I was pumped. That's it's a really cool feeling. And then especially... It's uh, it's definitely bigger a bigger goal than than just mine for for Cucci just to to get that win. He played so well for us the whole game. So just to get that uh, makes it a lot sweeter. So at what point this season did you start to feel a lot more comfortable? I think when I got scratched those three games, uh, maybe a couple months ago, month ago. I think that really helped me. Just I I was kind of struggling to find my game and what I'm and what I need to do out there. And I think coming back. Just I based it all off. I better bring energy, and that's that's how my game's going to be surrounded by. So to find that, and then obviously to get balances and and to start scoring, just builds confidence, like you said. Do you think you hit a wall, a wall at some point? 
I, I hit a wall for a while. I think I went 18 games without a goal. I was, I was struggling for sure. So, uh, yeah, the, the time off, it, uh, it really motivated me. I, no one likes not playing. I, I was pissed off. So to come back in, I wanted to make sure I could uh, make an impact. And that's what I, I tried every night. Boom. Uh, by the way, a little credit to Sebastian Ajo for forcing the turnover. He forced the giveaway. Doesn't get credit for it, but you should note that it was his pressure behind the net it's, that caused Severson to give the puck away. D'Angelo intercepts along the left wall, skates in, finds uh, Jarvis basically even with the face-off face dot, but the inner part of the circle, uh, and he just uh, you know, settled it, ripped it through. Uh, he didn't think it was in which is uh, very funny. And the Hurricanes have a 3-2 win. You went from no points to two points in about seven game minutes. Six game minutes, actually, right? About a little bit more than six game minutes. You go from no points to two points. And now here's how it looks. Hurricanes, 110 points. They have a, uh, a one regulation win lead over the Rangers. They win their third in a row. Islanders tomorrow, Rangers Tuesday, Devils on Thursday. Truth of the matter is, if the Hurricanes win tomorrow on Long Island and beat the Devils on uh, on uh, Thursday night at home to close out the season, then it doesn't matter what the Rangers do. If the Hurricanes beat the Islanders and beat the Devils, unless they w- lose both of those or win both of those in overtime or a shootout, the Hurricanes are going to win the division. So when... When beat the Islanders, beat the Devils, and one of them, one of them is in regulation, it's over. It doesn't make a difference. You can lose a thousand to nothing uh, in at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday. It won't matter. Uh, now beating the Islanders is going to be a chore. The Islanders just, you know, they're tough to beat. They're tough to play against. Rangers, hundred eight points. They just lost today. Uh, after Carolina, they will host Montreal and then Washington to close out the season. Pittsburgh has hundred one points. They're at Philadelphia. Uh, tomorrow, they host Edmonton and they host Columbus to close out the season. I think Pittsburgh's ultimately going to finish third. Washington does have a game in hand, so they're 99 points. The only Eastern Conference playoff team at this point uh, that is stuck on 99 points hasn't gotten to 100 yet. They're going to get there. They've got four games left. I'm pretty sure they can sneak in uh, one point here. Uh, they will host Toronto tomorrow. They host the Islanders next week, then play at the Islanders, then play at the Rangers. So here's the way, by the way, the Florida Panthers have 120 points. They've just won 13 in a row. Toronto's on 109. Tampa's on 104. Boston's on 101. I think that's going to be the way it it stacks up at the end of the season. Uh, And right now, it's Carolina-Boston would be the matchup in the first round. Rangers and Penguins would meet up. Florida and the Capitals... It's going to be a physical series. Toronto and Tampa will meet. And, man, the Eastern Conference, the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs is just going to be great. Absolutely great. Uh, and I said, I've said this before. The only team that I will be surprised if they don't win is Florida. Anybody else? You, you can flip a coin for the other series. I think Carolina is better than Boston, but I think this Boston team when healthy, is better than the Boston team that the Hurricanes played earlier in the year. I just do. And I we, we could argue that the Hurricanes might be better too. It'd be a hard argument without Freddie Anderson in net playing really well. Uh, because truth of the matter is, um, it does look like it's going to be the Auntie Ranta show. I don't think that 
uh, the kid, Kachetkov, distinguished himself to the point where you go, well, maybe he can do it. He didn't stand on his head today. Uh, he did make some good saves, but he let in a bad goal. Um, and he's going to get one more start. And I don't know when that start is. If I had to guess, I would say it starts against the Devils again, the last game of the regular season. Uh, he won't start tomorrow. They will start Ronta tomorrow. Uh, and who knows how it falls if the Hurricanes happen to win tomorrow. In a strange sort of way, I could almost see giving Kachetkov the game at Madison Square Garden just for giggles. Um, and then start Ronta on Thursday thinking that we want to get him as close to the end of the regular season as possible. You don't want him to have too much time off. I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing here. But I really think that the next time we see Kachetkov will be against the Devils uh, Thursday night to close out the regular season. Uh, so tomorrow on the uh, scoreboard, you've got the Canes at the Islanders at 1, Pittsburgh at Philly at 4, Boston at Montreal at 7, Tampa and Florida at 7 o'clock, and then Toronto at Washington also at 7. Friday, got a chance to talk to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com, senior NHL writer. Uh, and I've been saying this for a while. The, NA, the NBA's play-in tournament has been great. It is a absolute ratings winner. What would be so terrible, NHL? What would be so terrible? Greg Wyshynski of ESPN uh, joins us on the Adam Gold Show. Thank you very much. I love the piece. Uh, and I was in a better mood this morning simply because the Hurricanes figured out how to score. <laughs> well, it's, it's good on both fronts. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's always great when you write something that is good and elicits a reaction. Like, it's really easy to write something that's terrible and elicits a reaction. <laughs> I've, I've been doing that for, like, 15 years. But when you write something that's good, and then you go – like, I was at a, an event in Jersey last night at the Devils game, and, like, there was a bunch of NHL people there from, like, the corporate office, and they right. were telling me how much play the article got amongst them. It's like, all right, if, I, if I've got Twitter yelling at me and I got the NHL reading the thing – then, then clearly it, it touched the nerve, and, and I'm happy it got the response it did. And I also saw you on Twitter point out the the obstacle to this, and we'll get to the obstacle for something like this. But I think for the last couple of years, uh, I have watched the NBA's play-in tournament and thought, man, this would be great for the for the National Hockey League. And while the sports are much more random, there's there's not as much randomness in basketball as there is in the sport of hockey. Um, but I still think it would work because of the structure of the playoffs currently. Uh, and like, if you don't finish in the top six and you're a wild card, there should be some punishment for being a wild card. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think it's punishment. I think it's just less benefit. Right. I mean, like that's the part of this whole thing that I find really baffling. And I, and I agree with you again, for those, those who don't know, um, the NBA format is that seven plays eight and nine plays 10. And then the loser of seven versus eight plays the winner of nine versus 10. Uh, so the, the winner of seven and eight becomes the seven seed. Right. And, and it's ingenious. Like I, I was not always in favor of expanding the NHL playoffs. I mean, the 16 team tournament is pretty perfect. Yeah. So you had to kind of find a way for me to buy into the idea of play in games and then also buy into the idea that it, it's not going to completely drain the regular season of meeting, and it's going to give some benefit to teams that, that do well. And I think this format does. I mean, clearly, if you finish in the top six, 
you are doing better for yourself than having to be in a play-in game where one great night from a goalie could could yeah. ruin your whole season, right? Um, so I think that there's some benefit there. I think there's some benefit, obviously, from expanding the playoff field and, and creating new entry points for other teams to get in, and and therefore you know sharing the playoff spotlight. Like how like how much more exciting would it be to have Buffalo, who that's played so well post Eichel trade, you know, have a chance to actually qualify for a play-in tournament rather than just you know offering some proof of concept for next season. So I'm sorry, like everything that I've put in the column is, is logical. It's, it's good sound reasoning why this whole thing works. And if you're somebody who's just, you know, going to throw out hyperbolic counter counter arguments, like why don't we let all 32 teams, right. well, that's idiotic. I mean, it, I mean, it's still over a third of the league that wouldn't get in if we allowed 20 teams. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't think that devalues the regular season. I'm not sure Tom Dundon didn't suggest all 32 teams make the playoffs at some point because he is a strong advocate for real playoff expansion, I think, to a minimum of 24. He might, he might want to see more. I'm not even going to get into that. Uh, I've always – look, I think playoffs are good. Playoffs are fun. Uh, playoffs also make leagues tons of money. So I'm I'm not above you know doing things that make money. Twenty four might be a little extreme uh, if we're talking about just expanding the playoffs. Not to mention you'd have a lot of teams sitting around doing nothing uh, for about two weeks, and I don't think anybody wants that. Uh, but something like what the NBA has done is a great example of what the NHL could do. Albeit we have to admit that it is more random, where ten the tenth team could easily beat nine and then beat eight or seven, and then you're coming into the playoffs with a head of steam uh, and maybe two has a couple of, well, you know what? That's uh, that's the breaks. But how do you convince Gary Bettman that <laughs> this is a good idea? Well, I mean, it, it, and actually I've talked to Dundon about this in the past. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think 24 is too much. I think 20 is about right. Um, but it is funny just like to go back to the other thing for a second. It is funny how, as you said, uh, people – when I put this idea into the world yesterday, you know, I never realized so many people uh, vehemently wanted to protect the sanctity of the seven and eight seats. It's <laughs> something I really didn't anticipate was how important yes. it was to make sure the seven and eight seeds don't play an extra game or two. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Batman part of this obviously is the huge stumbling block. I spoke to people within the league. I spoke to teams. I spoke to people around the NHL Players Association. And all of them track back to the same thing, which is that playoff expansion is not going to happen on Gary Bettman's watch. Um, it's gotten to the point where they don't even bring it up at the Board of Governors meetings. It, it, you know, if you remember, they expanded the playoffs to 24 teams during the bubble. You yes. think they would have had a conversation about playoff expansion after that, but it never came up because they know the answer is going to be no. Um, it wasn't negotiated in the last CBA because the players knew that they'd have to give up something major to get an expanded playoff from Bettman. So, the fact that he's put his foot down on this um, has discouraged any discourse. How do you get him to turn around? Well, if history is any indication, it's to make the strongest financial case you possibly can. Yeah. Um, this man does not want to shut down the season in the middle of the season for the World Cup of Hockey. But it's going to happen in 2024 because the NHL is going to make money hand over fist by having its own tournament instead of sending teams to the, the players to the Olympics. So if you can make the argument, and, and the NBA is making it right now with the amount of money they're making off the play-in mm -hmm. series, um, you know, if, if you can make the financial argument that expanding it to 20 teams is going to be a windfall for this league and it's not going to dramatically impact the integrity of the 16-team tournament, which I don't believe it will, 
um, then maybe you can get some 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 traction. But uh, again, everything I've heard is that as long as that's commissioner, we're not going to get it. Yeah, but we can argue that it's not actually playoff expansion. We, I mean, you can legitimately make that argument. Don't call them playoff games. Call them play-in oh. games. Yeah, but then it becomes semantic. Like I, I think fine. part of the thing. I think part of the thing for him is for just from what I've heard is that he likes the playoff races. Like he, the, the league is kind of fostered this artificial parity where bad teams get to be 500 teams because of the loser point and all this other stuff. Right. right? And and you look at, you know, some of the playoff races that we have, I mean, if, if you, you wouldn't have what you have in the West right now with Dallas and, and, and Vancouver and Vegas, if Vegas and Vancouver were already in a, in a, in a play in situation. Right. I mean, then it becomes like, can Winnipeg catch them? So, I get the idea that maybe you're impacting some of your playoff races. I get the idea that expanding the playoff field might also impact what the trade deadline looks like. You're gonna yes. might, you might have more buyers and sellers. Like that's a natural thing to happen. Um, but I think those those things kind of fade in the background for me when you think about the impact that playoff hockey has on a market. And, and again, there there is no easier way to make a new hockey fan than to live or die with your team through a postseason run. It is time-tested, whether it's Carolina, Columbus, wherever. That is the way you make new hockey fans. And so inviting more teams to the postseason party, I think, just makes too much sense, and especially if it's in a way that is not going to materially impact the the way we determine who's going to win the Stanley Cup. It's funny. I just talked to Chuck Caton about this um, for a a separate situation, and – He'd be in. Fa- I was surprised. He said he'd be in favor of it, but he doesn't like the one-offs. He likes two out of three. I think that's too much because the the last thing you want is teams, the best teams, sitting around doing nothing for a week to ten days. Uh, and to do something like this, um, I guess you you could change the format and simply make ten play seven, eight play nine, uh, a best two out of three, and maybe it would take five days as opposed to you know two weeks to do something like that but i'm not in i'm not in favor of uh of making the top team sit around because i think that works to their disadvantage uh, when right. it comes to this right and 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 again you, the whole point of this is to also still give those teams advantage so you know the one and two teams uh one and two seeds rather would would in theory play seven and eight pretty quickly after their right. playing games are done to, to give them some benefit um yeah, you don't want these teams sitting around. You don't want to break up the momentum of the regular season feeding right into the playoffs either, right? So that's part of it too. And ultimately, I remember I had a conversation with a TV executive while writing this piece, and, and I thought that he brought up a really good point, which is that if you're going to go to 20 teams and you're going to do in play-in games, you've already embraced gimmickry, right? Like you've already said to yourself that you're going to kind of like do some some <laughs> – some goofy things that don't necessarily fit within the purview of the integrity of the, of the 16 team seven game series tournament. So if you're going to do that already, then you might as well go all the way and just have game sevens, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's the joy of this yeah. to be to tune in and to know that, you know, for the nine and eight, for the nine and 10 teams, it's a one and done. And then the following game is a one and done. Um, while also obviously giving some uh, a second chance to whoever loses in that seven and eight game, so I, I think I understand what people are saying from a fairness perspective that it would be good to have a two out of three, maybe even good to have two games, and then if it's the same number of points, then you figure it out by goal differential or something. Um, but I think for maximum dramatic impact, you want that feeling of it's a do or die game, and, and that's what makes those play-in games in, in the NBA and, and 
uh, when baseball had them so much more, so much, so much interest, so much more interesting than uh, than a series would have been. I like I like one offs. I I appreciate you uh, working in on aggregate into a uh, into an NHL discussion. <laughs> Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is joining us. One quick thing about the season we're cur- currently seeing in the Eastern Conference, where I mean, unless something weird happens, we're going to have eight teams all with over a hundred points going into the playoffs. Never been done before in any conference. Now, granted, we have the loser point, as you pointed out, so we're guaranteeing two points a night for somebody. Uh, so it's kind of skewed, but this is still a as good a, at the top, as good a conference as we have ever seen. Uh, what would surprise you out of the East? Oh, boy. What would surprise me out of the East? I, I would say if either of the three kind of legacy teams made it through, uh, Boston, Pittsburgh, or Washington, um, just because of how good the Panthers are, just because of how good the, the, the Hurricanes can be, just because of how good, um, y- you know, uh, the, the Lightning are when they flip yep. the switch. Um, you know, all these teams, to me, are, are real solid cup contenders, and, and I think they're a little bit of a cut above the Capitals and, and the and the Bruins and, and the Penguins from what I've seen this season. So if it wasn't the Lightning or the Panthers or the Leafs or, or the or the uh, the Hurricanes coming out, I'd be surprised, to be honest with you. I, I just don't see the Capitals, Penguins, or Bruins being exponentially better than any of those teams. And so if, if they end up, one of those teams ends up representing the East, I'd be surprised. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is that I think even every team, and I've, I've spoken with a friend of mine who's with the Panthers, and like they're not, they're not like really confident in their goaltending right now. They give up a lot of chances. They give up a ton of goals. Uh, so who knows what happens in the postseason. I think they're awesome, and I'll be surprised uh, if they're not uh, – if. Anything can happen in the second round, but I'll be surprised if they don't win a first round. That, that that is the only thing that would shock me. I think anybody else could lose a first round series, including the Hurricanes, because they've got their own goaltending issues right now. We Freddie Anderson may be out for three weeks, and then we just don't know with Auntie Ranta and the the rookie who's my guess is going to play tomorrow, uh, but could play if he doesn't play tomorrow, we'll play Sunday. Uh, so I think all of those teams have some question mark. The Rangers might be uh, pretty sneaky great, though. I'm not. I'm not so sure. I would count them out. They've, they've played really well since the trade deadline, and they have obviously the best goalie in, in the world this season. So that certainly helps. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think the Panthers are are an interesting test case because I think we're all waiting to see what the format of these playoffs is going to be in, insofar as stylistically. Yeah. Like. Um, when you come off of the best offensive season in the NHL since the mid-1990s, you expect it to at least continue, like you said, for one round. And then maybe things get tightened up and teams clamp down. But what if they don't? I mean, what if all of the – you know, my, my colleague Kristen Shilton and I wrote about this earlier this week, this offensive boom that we've seen in hockey mm-hmm. and why it's happening. And, and it could be those conditions that we've seen, you know, the, 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 the systemic uh, turnover from – older players that play defense to younger players that play offense, the COVID of it all, um, the, the, the mediocre goaltending, like all these factors that have led to this season being how it is could easily just carry over to this postseason. And, and if that's the case, then you're going to see teams like the Panthers and the Leafs uh, having a, a, a shot at, at really making a run this year in, in 
in ways that maybe they wouldn't if it, if it all of a sudden was 2-1 games like it usually is in the playoffs. And if it's Florida and Colorado in the finals, take the over. <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> it is, just take the over. In theory, in theory. I think, <laughs> I think Colorado's got a tougher road than people think. No, that. I do too. I think, I, I, I think that – I think, I, first of all, they, they, they are probably the biggest Dallas Stars fans. Yes, they right are. Because I don't think they want to see Vegas in a, in a, no. in a series in the first round. The, I, I think they're going to get their wish. I don't think they're going to see Vegas. I think Vegas is going to miss out. Uh, but I like Calgary, and I really like Minnesota in the West. Um, I've liked Minnesota all year. They I've seen them play the Hurricanes twice, and they just grit you to death. And they're fast, and now they've got Flurry. Uh, they are, I think, uh, primed for a surprise run, maybe. Maybe it's not even a surprise. Greg Wyshynski, at Wyshynski on Twitter. I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Anytime. Thanks. Greg's always fun. You should check him out, at Wyshynski on Twitter, ESPN.com. Hall of Fame voice, longtime voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, 39 years in the broadcast booth for this franchise. Started in Hartford, brought it to Carolina. It's one of the great human beings ever. One of the great voices of the sport ever. It's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Still uh, very active in the Hockey Broadcasters Association. Uh, And we talked first about the passing of two icons of the sport in uh, Guy Lafleur and Mike Bossy. And then we got to some other cool things, including the East and how powerful it is. And overall, what he thinks of the potential of an expanded NHL playoffs. All right, in the last eight days, we have lost two absolute legends in the sport of hockey. Today, Guy Lafleur passed away. The Flower, 518 goals, 1,246 points in 961 games. One of the most stylish players in the history of the sport. Mike Bossy, a week ago today, we lost him. My favorite player growing up. Somebody who saw both and can speak to this. Chuck Caton, legendary broadcaster, a Hall of Famer, sir. It is an honor to pick your brain and talk about some of the greats of the game. One of which I saw in his prime, the other I really didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of did, but I didn't. I wasn't really aware of what Montreal, how great Montreal was, because I wasn't really old enough. Uh, so thank you very much for your time. I want to start with Lafleur. Um, if if you could sum up what made him great. Well, first of all, I appreciate your comments, and uh, I'm very happy to uh, to be with you, Adam. I mean, it's uh, one of those things that uh, I guess you you kind of show your age, and I think the thing that stunned me the most about. Uh, Lafleur's death, and really for uh, for example, uh, Bossy's as well, is that uh, one guy was younger than I am, and one guy was my age. Yeah. So I guess we're getting to the point where we <laughs> can see mortality on the horizon. Man. But we got to take care of ourselves. And unfortunately, there was kind of a common ground there for both those gentlemen. They were very heavy smokers uh, in their day. And I think it took its toll on both of them with lung cancer. As far as Lafleur's concerned, um, just a tremendous, uh, tremendous goal scorer, a guy that was able to kind of avoid, uh, if you will, the Scotty Bowman iron hand of the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens back in the 70s. And what I mean by that is there were two sets of rules um, in those days when Montreal was winning four straight Stanley Cups, uh, you know, from 76 to 79. 
Uh, and that was uh, when Guy had the puck, he could do whatever he wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> Bowman did not stifle his creativity. Uh, and he really didn't ask him to be the uh, stalwart uh, defensive uh, player uh, in order to uh, to win the Bob Gainey Award, as I like to call it, or the Guy Carbono Award uh, for the best defensive forward uh, in the National Hockey League. So he was able to do whatever he wanted to do at that time, and he was a prolific goal scorer. And um, I was very, very fortunate to watch him not only – uh, on television, but of course, broadcasting games, even when he went to Quebec City, when he went to the New York Rangers toward the end of his career, he was still a very viable and exciting player. And uh, I don't think a lot of your listeners would remember that originally he wore a helmet uh, when he was a rookie uh, in the NHL and then uh, cast it away so you can see those flowing locks uh, uh, when he was dashing up the right side which is, again, the vivid image that I'll always remember yeah. about him. And uh, I'll never forget one uh, game. Uh, my, actually, it was my first game in the Montreal Forum back in 79 when uh, the Whalers, the, the expansion team that they were after the WHA merger, uh, played in the Forum for the first time. And, of course, I was thrilled to be there. I had never been in that building live before. And here comes Guy LaFleur with uh, 2.05 left in the third period. The game's tied at four. And he takes a swan dive when our captain, Ricky Lee, just kind of reached out and did one of those 2022 20, hooks, you know, <laughs> that get called today. Yes. That never used to get called back then. <laughs> but but when Ski LaFleur went butt over tea kettle, the referee called the penalty, and uh, the Whalers had to kill off a very potent Canadian power play. That's one of the big uh, images I'll remember from Guy Lafleur's career is he took a little bit of a swan dive, and they never had the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty back ah, then, right. you know, for the guy who did that. So Ricky took the penalty, and uh, thankfully the Whalers ki- killed it off, and we ended up with a 4-4 tie the first time we were in the Montreal Forum uh, that year. So for those uh, Hurricane fans, if you want to go back to the lineage of the Whalers, that was the first time they played Canadians, and they ended up getting a point. No overtime, of course. That's Guy LaFleur, and uh, just an exciting player, and really one of the nicest people you'll ever meet as well, Adam. Uh, I, w- I wonder if he got a letter from the league. He probably didn't get a letter from the league and a fine or anything uh, anything like that for, no. what, for what you describe as an obvious dive. Uh, yeah. The 76-77 season is one of the best, really, in NHL history. Um, he won the Hart, he won the Ross, he won, he won the Conn Smythe. It was in that run of six straight 50-goal, 100-point seasons. Uh, and they yep. didn't always play. They, they, they never played 82. So a couple of those seasons were like 70 or 74 games, uh, and he still managed to hit those numbers. Transitioning to Mike Bossy, the player of my youth when I grew up as an Islander mm-hmm. fan in the New York area, Um I don't know how you compare LaFleur to Bossy. My recollection is that they were pretty different players. Uh, I think Bossy's probably the best goal scorer in the history of the game, uh, present company included. Um, not present meaning me, but present company meaning Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant me. Yeah, oh, okay. Or you. I don't look. I, you know what? I'm sure you had a lethal slap shot from the wing. Uh, yeah, I played in... really well against my kids in street hockey. I mean, you know, it was prolific there. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh, and the statistics prove it. Uh, he uh, is the greatest goal scorer per game 0.76 goals per game in his career, Jeez. and he shades Mario Lemieux by like one-tenth and yeah. Wayne Gretzky by like 
five tenths or something, uh, or five hundredths. And and uh, so he is the most prolific goal scorer in history, including Ovechkin. Uh, so uh, and that's saying something because Ovechkin just tied Bossy, of course, with his ninth fifty goal season the other day. Yeah. But but uh, had it not been for the bad back, Mike Bossy might have had ten or twelve. Uh, 50 goals seasons. I mean, he may have scored 50 goals every single year until he decided to retire yep. uh, without injury. So, no, he. And when you talk about the types of players they were comparing and contrasting Lafleur and Bossy, they were different because uh, Lafleur could score off the rush, uh, and uh, he played with Jacques Lemaire, who always uh, was a great passer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and that Montreal team was loaded with talent. And in Bossy's case. Uh, he would tell you that Brian Trache was the key man uh, who set him up in positions. But again, you have to give Bossy a lot of credit. He knew how to get open. Uh, I don't think his release uh, was uh, um, matched by anybody else in the game, including today. Uh, the closest thing you have to him is uh, Alexander Ovechkin, the way he can get off the shot so quickly. And that was Mike Bossy's uh, – uh, he was a uh, – kind of a, a thinking man's goal scorer, if, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. Adam, because he, he knew where he was going to put the puck before he had the puck. Uh, he had that sixth sense of where the goaltender was going to be. And, of course, goaltending was a lot different then. Right. Uh, you see the goalies going down today to cover the bottom of the net uh, primarily. Well, back then they were stand-up goaltenders, so there was a lot more to shoot at and a little bit more of the net to see. But to have that skill that you get open, take the trache pass, and to get rid of it as quickly as he did – was awesome. And again, uh, you know, my Mike Bossy story is again a first. It's the first time the Whalers played the Islanders uh, at home at Springfield Civic Center. And I remember a, a game where, uh, you know, uh, you've got to remember that the Islanders were on the precipice of uh, little do we know four straight Stanley Cups that year in 79 80. And he scored the game winning goal with an absolutely beautiful goal on one knee, one timing a shot past John Garrett. Uh, at the Springfield Civic Center for a 2-1 win. Uh, again, in regulation time, he scored late in the third period in that game. And, uh, again, that's another one of those uh, vivid memories uh, that I have of Mike Bossy, as well as in the 86 All-Star game, uh, which was played in Hartford, where it was the old Wales Conference and the Campbell Conference. And uh, the Wales, which is the Eastern Conference today, yeah. uh, won the game in overtime. It was an actual legitimate All-Star game. It ended up 4-3 to three in overtime. And uh, Trotche to Bossy was the game-winning goal for uh, the Wales Conference, and all the fans went home happy yeah, those, uh, in Hartford that day. Those two teams were uh, were absolutely loaded, absolutely loaded. Bossy was, yeah. I mean, uh, he was the first to do 50 goals in 50 games, correct? Absolutely. Gosh. Absolutely. And then, of course, eclipsed mightily by Wayne Gretzky, who had a five-goal game to make it 39 games. Remember against Philadelphia yes. that day in 87, I guess. But, uh, yeah, but Mike Bossy, 50 goals in 50 games. Uh, the only other player to do that, of course, was Rocket Richard when they only had 50 games in the NHL uh, when he played in the 40s. So uh, quite, a, quite an accomplishment. Your, just your impressions of the Eastern Conference in general. We are headed to a, uh, a it looks like anyway, I mean, I guess it's possible it won't happen. We're headed to a point where all eight teams in the East – will have 100 points. Now, I realize that there is a guaranteed winner every night, which definitely skews the numbers. Uh, but still, since the first work stoppage, when we lost the year in 0405, the fact that it's never been done, what does that say about the Eastern Conference? 
Well, I mean, it's loaded. I mean, you stop and think. Uh, and I'm very excited about this because uh, I, I still, even after three and a three quarters years away from uh, uh, the NHL broadcasting front, I still follow the game very closely. And I'm just amazed at how great the conference is, Adam. Uh, uh, it's unprecedented, really. I mean, when you look down the list, it's going to be hard. Everybody wants to make predictions at this time of year of who's going to get through the playoffs, who's going to go to the Stanley Cup final, and uh, all of this stuff. But. Uh, I don't think you can even make a, a prediction. You could you could probably have five or six teams in the Eastern Conference alone uh, that could win the Cup once you're in. So uh, it, the, the, what the Florida Panthers, though, have done is extremely impressive. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at 45, 46 games at this taping where they've scored over four goals a game. Yeah. That hasn't happened since the mid-'80s Edmonton Oilers. And uh, so... Uh, they're, and they're, the way they've come back in games, I mean, it's uh, it's just uh, an incredible accomplishment for them, and especially when there were a lot of questions after the Joel Quenville situation early in the year where he was forced to resign, uh, taken over by another coach. They just keep rolling along like a machine. So that's one. The next thing is don't underestimate Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they're struggling a little bit now, uh, I think they're going to be ready for the playoffs. What about the Toronto Maple Leafs? If yeah. they get any kind of goaltending and uh, commit themselves to defensive hockey, they're going to be a threat. Then you have the teams that the Hurricanes may play, right? It could either be Washington or Boston, yep. maybe Pittsburgh. Who knows? Are any of those teams going to take a back seat in the playoffs? Uh, I mean, it, it's just going to be wild. Uh, it's going to be completely uh a completely uh, a joy to watch the and of course the first round is that round of upsets anyway yep. and even this time there's more parity than ever yeah I, look you could throw I I the only team that if they lost in the first round that it would surprise me honestly is Florida but uh, as a member of that organization told me as recently as two days ago. They're not crazy about their own goaltending situation down there, and they are allowing a lot of goals uh, as well. And if the game tightens up, I still think Florida will win whoever they play in the first round. Uh, but uh, it is once you get to the second round, I do think I think uh, anybody can win if you if you can escape round one. I think you can make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And in the West, like I'd like to say, it's Colorado, you know, or or bust. But I really like Calgary. I really like Minnesota in the West. Do you have yeah. do, do you have an idea of who you like maybe other than Colorado? Well, again, this boils down, Adam, as you know, to goaltending. And uh, uh, when you look at the Western Conference right now, you have to give the edge uh, on paper to the Minnesota Wild. I mean, especially after the acquisition of Flurry. Gosh, uh, yeah, we saw it here. Solid goaltending <laughs> with Flurry and Talbot. Everybody in Hartford, uh, I'm sh- everybody in Carolina. I still have Hartford on my mind because <laughs> the yard goes weekend coming up this summer. But everybody in Carolina should remember the name Cam Talbot because he's the guy that strung together all those Ranger wins for years oh. against uh, uh, the Hurricanes. Remember where they couldn't beat the the Rangers for a long spell it was Cam Talbot was the guy besides Lundquist. So um, they've got great goaltending. I'm nothing against Darcy Kemper uh, or Francois, uh, Papa Francois in uh, Colorado. But, uh, and uh, you know, the next guy in line would be Markstrom of Calgary. Yep. You, you hit it on the head, Adam, when you said Calgary Flames, because they've got good goaltending. Yeah. 
there. So, uh, I, I, you know, again, that's what it boils down to for me, and that's why, uh, you know, I think the Flames have a good chance and the Wild have a good chance uh, to do some damage uh, in uh, in the playoffs. And everybody else in the West, I mean, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, they've got everything going right now after their coaching change. But again, uh, Koskinen, Smith, they yeah. can be hot and cold. And to your point about Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, that's really the odd couple there because if Bobrovsky's hot, they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Andrew Burnett is going to have a heck of a decision to make if Bobrovsky has a, a little bit of a struggle in the first round because Spencer Knight looks solid, but you got to remember he's only 20. So, <laughs> um, you know, that, and, and, of course, the Hurricanes. Uh, again, their goaltending situation may be up in the air from a health standpoint. So, yeah. you know, it's a new season. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch uh, yeah. the postseason. But we're going to see uh, – I, I know we're going to see a 22-year-old uh, kid from Russia play at some point this season, this weekend uh, with Peter Kachetkov uh, is going to get a game, uh, if for no other reason than to not beat the brakes off Antti Ranta, who has had a hard time staying healthy in his career. I want to ask you one more thing uh, before I let you go. Sure. Um, uh, and this is something that I've actually advocated for, and I am sure you despise the idea of. Uh, and we, we're watching the NBA playoffs, and the NBA playoffs started with a play-in tournament where 7 and 8 played, and the winner went to the 7 seed. 9 and 10 played, the winner of that played the loser of the 7 and 8 game to get to the 8 seed. Yes. Put, put that in the NHL, Chuck. What do you think? Well, you know, I'm probably not as much against it as you think, Adam. I think I I might be changing my mind on this a little bit. uh, But is it fair? Here's my only question to you. Is it fair to have a one-game play-in, or should it be a best of three? I mean, that's the issue for me. I I mean, it's nice to have that ninth and tenth team in each conference get in, and I can certainly understand the argument that they've doubled the size of the league since they – and they have never uh, touched the number of teams that make the playoffs, okay? It used to be 16 of 21, which (laughs) is absolutely ridiculous back when I started in 79-80. When I became a fan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, there you go. So that was stupid. Okay, let's face facts. But – uh, can a play-in game, I mean, you're talking to a guy that did NCAA basketball back at Michigan, too, So, and I remember the 32-team uh, right. uh, tournament, uh, and then as they expanded and they expanded, and then these other play-in games that come, how many teams are in there now, 66? 68. No, 68, yeah. so there you go. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess you can make an argument. You can probably twist my arm and convince me of a play-in game, but only with one caveat. Make it a best of three and not just a one-game playoff. And if the NHL would do that, I'd probably be on board with that because I think there are going to be some teams, you know, just on the outside looking in, that, like a team like Vegas who was penalized this year with a number of injuries they've had. Yeah. If they don't make the playoffs or the Dallas Stars don't make the playoffs, you know, they're, they're capable playoff teams and deserve a shot. So make it a best of three, and I think we got a deal. Chuck Caton, you are the absolute best. I appreciate your time. Uh, play as much golf as you can possibly play. <laughs> and I, I I promise that we will talk again very soon. Well, I hope so. Thank you, because I still follow it, and I follow you guys. You guys do a terrific job, and uh, I wish nothing but the best for Rod Brindamore and that coaching staff, because J.D., uh, Gleese, all those guys deserve uh, a lot of credit for what's been going on this year with the with the team. So I miss it. Uh, I have to be honest, but 
Uh, always tune into you, Adam, when I'm heading to Pinehurst. So uh, <laughs> think about me once in a while. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> heading to... that, that wonderful analyst named Trip Tracy on the air. Absolutely. He's tremendous. Absolutely. By the way, Rod Brindamore, not a bad head coach, huh? Not a bad head coach. And if I had a vote for coach of the year, he'd be one of my three selections once again. Chuck, you are the best. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. So we did the game stuff. We listened to Rod. We listened to Seth Jarvis. We talked to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, and we had the Hall of Famer Chuck Aiton on. How great is that? For a Sunday morning dog walk, there you go. Uh, I am Adam Gold. Thank you very much for hanging out on the Canes Corner Podcast. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it, aluminumcompany.com. Also, follow the Canes Corner Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us a rating and a review. Let us know what you think. I hope you like it. If you do, you'll let us know. If you if you like it, you'll follow it. And then we build our followers up, and we blow the doors off of everybody. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll chat at you after the Canes and the Islanders on Sunday. Don't you know? Bye. This has been the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsband.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.